They want me to get rid of my dog. Can they do that? I'm being fined for leaving my garage door open too long. What are covenants? Do I have any rights? Help, I feel like I've left the American zone. If you want the answers to those questions, join me, Shoe Bartholomew, and my guests on The Commons every Saturday from 2 to 3 right here on WBR Fairfax Radio. We'll ask the experts and we'll untangle the truth about what's left of our property rights. On the Commons is a weekly radio show dedicated to discussing the many issues surrounding mandatory membership homeowners associations. Join us as we explore this relatively new world of controlled living, which includes condominiums, cooperatives, and both attached and detached single-family homes. Living in a common ownership development means giving up the American dream. It means giving up your constitutional rights and control over your most valuable asset, your home. Living in a homeowners association means leaving the American zone. This is On the Commons, and I am Shoe Bartholomew. Joining me today on the Commons, I have an old friend, Tyler Birding, from all the way from California, where I hope it's a little bit warmer than it is here. Is it sunny, bright, and warm, Tyler? It's sunny and bright. I wouldn't call it warm, but that's by California standards. <laughs> so, so all right. So um, we have my standards, which are pretty chilly over here. Tyler, thank you so much. You and I have been talking and we've been um, corresponding and we've been talking about the issues and you've been doing a lot of writing and a lot of educating and I thank you for that. And um, you wrote to me about the uh, about professor the professor's paper about um, property values, and you made some really good points in terms of looking at the different things. I'm thinking about it this morning as I was going through rereading and jotting down thoughts. And you know what, Tyler? We don't even have a common name for what we're dealing with. Nobody. It's like the Tower of Babel, don't you think? Well, the industry isn't well understood uh, in terms of uh, how it, not only how it impacts current residents, but also how it impacts future owners, uh, how it operates as a business model. Uh, there's a lot of misunderstanding of uh, the broad term uh, homeowners association communities. Uh, and, it, and it's quite varied and depends a great deal on the product type that the association manages. And each one has its own problems, and, but also they have certain benefits as well uh, that we have seen implemented now over the last, say, 40 years. Well, you know, we tend to throw everything in the HOA basket and let it go. And you're always reminding me, hey, wait a minute, Sue, are we talking about single-family homes? Are we talking about condos? Are we talking about co-ops? But, but the fact is there's not one term um, that really 
takes all of these different things in. And maybe they shouldn't all be put in, in one lump sum. Maybe we should just talk about homeowners, associations, condominiums, cooperatives, because in a lot of respects, they are very different, aren't they? Well, I don't want to diminish the research that the professor did, because I believe that within the universe of his subject matter, he's probably reasonably accurate, uh, but there's a, a large portion of homeowners associations or community associations that are outside of the universe that he surveyed. And I think that was the point I raised with you uh, early on when I saw uh, the article that he wrote or the paper that he wrote. And the, the, what I believe the subject matter of that paper is are single-family detached home communities. And we sometimes know them as property owners associations, homeowners associations, (laughs) community associations. But they all have different (laughs) names depending on what the developer decided to call it when he built it. But a single-family detached development, uh, each owner has has their own lot, and they maintain that property themselves. The association usually doesn't have anything to do with the structure built on that lot. What the homeowner association does is maintain what we call common area, which are things like streets, sidewalks, parks, utilities, uh, outside of the lot lines of the owner's homes. With that kind of a community, you can compare the value of a home in a homeowner's association to one that's in a more traditional uh, historical neighborhood, uh, which has no homeowners association. Uh, and I believe that's what uh, the, the professor did uh, because uh, those, those, there, there are uh, millions of single family homes that are not in homeowners associations, but they tend to be older homes in older neighborhoods because in the last 20 or 30 years, almost every single-family home development that has more than maybe half a dozen homes in it is going to have some kind of homeowners association to manage that common area. And you say, well, why do they have to manage a common area? Doesn't the city do that? <laughs> well, no, they don't. No, they don't. And that gets us off onto another tangent that, Basically, homeowners associations in those kind of neighborhoods, single-family detached homes, are um, created because cities and counties do not want to accept the responsibility for maintaining all of that common infrastructure. And they require the developers to, to create their project so that those those, that infrastructure is maintained by the owners of the homes in those neighborhoods. And that's very different than the traditional neighborhoods historically that we're all used to, where the city would come and pay the streets or fix the sidewalks, uh, deal with the utilities in the streets, uh, uh, 
the parks would all be maintained by the uh, the local park district. That's the historical neighborhoods that we all know and are aware of and a lot of us grew up in. The Modern Homeowners Association, single-family home development, uh, has the, the cities and counties have made sure that that infrastructure is maintained by the owners so that the cities don't have that responsibility any longer. And I believe that probably 90% of the developments in, in the country that are, have been built in the last 20 years are in some kind of homeowners association for that reason. Not because developers necessarily want to create homeowners associations. Frankly, I think they'd prefer not to. They don't want but to. But that's the requirement of the local jurisdiction. And we allow them, and we allow them to get away with it, don't we? We allow the well, municipalities to mandate these things, tax us, and then expect us to pay for the, the things that those tax dollars were intended to do separately, privately, and turn it over to the private sector. Yeah, it's double taxation, essentially. Um, you're taxed or assessed, that's a better term, you know, within the association for all of that infrastructure, maintaining all of that infrastructure, but you're also paying the same property tax or more than uh, the traditional neighborhood, depending on the laws of the state you live in uh, and how they assess that property. But uh, the traditional neighborhood homeowner um, has the benefit, it pays property taxes, but also the city or county paves the, the streets and fixes the sidewalks, et cetera. In a homeowners association, you pay the same property tax or possibly more and because they're newer homes, and yet you also pay for maintaining all that infrastructure that's within your project. When we moved here from Arizona, we lived in a single-family home with no HOA and you know, the city paved the streets, and they had the street lights, and they picked up the trash. And following the trash truck, there was a city a street sweeper, and they hosed down the streets, and they swept up the streets. So you could eat off the streets. It was so, so clean. And then we moved to Virginia, and we get to the settlement table, and we're told, sign here. It says, you know there's a homeowners association. And then you discover that, oh, no, the, the, count, the, the county doesn't do anything. You have to pay the association because that's just how we do things here. That's, that's just the way it is. And then I realized that we were paying more in HOA fees than we paid in our, tax, our property taxes in Arizona. So I called the, the county and I said, so, okay, what am I paying for? And they said, well, you're paying for, you know, schools and you're paying for libraries. And I said, yeah, 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 I know, libraries, schools, um, streets. And they said, oh, no, we don't own streets. We don't have any streets. That comes through Virginia Department of Transportation. So they don't even have that. They've managed to shunt everything off in a bunch of different directions. And they're just collecting the taxes and giving themselves raises and doing all that, and they keep wanting to float bonds to do different things. But we've allowed them to do that. Um, you know, you and well, I... Have... You know, 
That's true. I mean, in the sense that uh, we haven't voted out uh, those public officials, elected officials who uh, have approved those developments. But the finances of a city um, depend a great deal on property tax. In California, and I think in other some other states, California has essentially, uh, in 1978, passed uh, a law uh, proposition that said we're basically going to freeze your property tax at somewhere near the rate you're paying right now, and with with only uh, allowable uh, small percentage increase every year, as long as you own that home. So what you end up with is in the same neighborhood, people who've lived there for 30 years pay maybe one-third of the property tax of the person that lives next door who bought, say, a couple of years ago. Uh, But what that did, of course, is eliminate a large source of city and county revenue that they used to get because property taxes would go up every year. Uh, based on the appraised value of your home, the current market appraised value of your home. And so with that huge gap in funding, at least in California, there was this major shift of of responsibility for infrastructure in new developments to those owners in those developments as a way to make up some of that gap. And we can argue whether or not the city needed all that money in the first place or whether they're spending it the way they should. That's probably a topic for another day. But the fact is there was a big funding gap. And one of the ways that it was plugged, at least in California, was shifting a lot of infrastructure responsibility to the owners of new projects. I remember when that was passed, we were in Arizona, and it seems to me the reason it was passed was because the taxes were so high in in California. That's true. It, people revolted yeah. against that. Well, what was happening is, is people wanted to stay in their homes after they retired, and they were living on fixed incomes. But the property taxes didn't respect the fixed income. It just kept going up as if you were still working, making lots of money. And so people were being – people were – forced out of their homes. They couldn't afford to stay in their homes, even if the home was paid off. Uh, So this was basically uh, an initiative to uh, freeze those property taxes and allow people to stay in their homes. It's had some negative effects as well, um, but it did allow people to stay in homes that might otherwise have to sell and get out. Uh, But it it shifts the burden to the buyers of newer homes. And uh, if you buy a home in, in California, you're appraised at the market value for tax purposes, the market value that you paid for it. And, of course, we all know that in the last 30 years, home prices in most states have gone through the roof. So the taxes that new owners are paying is considerably higher than those who stayed in their homes for uh, number of years. You know, there's a there's a movement afoot here in Fairfax County as well, and the the wording they use is they want people to age in place because so many retirees can no longer afford to live here. 
So they're leaving, and they don't want all of the older people to leave, all of the retirees to leave. So they want people to age in place, and they're trying to figure out how to keep them here. Um, they're coming up with some really wacky ideas, in my opinion. They'll, they'll take from what I understand, and I haven't really done a whole lot of um, looking into this, but they're taking stores that you, know, that you have, and they have attic space or space at the top of the store, and they're building places for retirees to move in there so that they're within walking distance. And, and I'm not sure that's going to help. I don't know how that's going to work out. It just seems to me that we come up with all these nutty ideas and then have to go back and clean up afterwards. Well, the aging in place, that phrase applies to two different topics that uh, a lot of research is being done on. Uh, one uh, uh, subject matter of that topic has to do with what you just said. Older people who want to stay in their homes or want to stay in their community, <clears throat> uh, as they get older, uh, live on fixed income. Uh, and what can you do to facilitate that? That's one. The other topic that phrase applies to is infrastructure and how we deal with gradually deteriorating right. infrastructure right. in community associations, especially <clears throat> that is not, not, um, is not living well, is not surviving well because it isn't the, the maintenance of those projects isn't kept. They don't keep ahead of it because they don't fund it adequately. The reason they don't fund it is because there's tremendous pressure by residents not to raise their assessments. But there's another thing. There's another thing that you and I have talked about. Board members who are the ones who are making these decisions, they don't have the expertise. They don't have the knowledge. They're making decisions on road maintenance. They're making decisions on how to maintain a lake. Um, how you, having to dredge a lake. When do you dredge a lake? How much is it going to cost? I mean, all of these things, I don't care what you are. You could be a, a brain surgeon. You could be a rocket scientist. You don't have the expertise or the knowledge to make s sensible, sane decisions on whether this, whether the street needs to be done or whether you need to hire someone to come in and dredge a lake or, you know, this, they've just turned this into, over to, to the lay person. And I'm not putting down the lay person, but they're expected but to make these decisions. Well, <clears throat> yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. That's, that's where the, the model of the average of the community association begins to go off the rails because basically uh, local jurisdictions, counties and cities get greedy. Oh, well, we were able to take the streets and the sidewalks and that little pocket park down at the corner of this development and give that, make that the responsibility of the owners. That was great. Now we don't have to spend city revenues to do that, yet we can still collect the property taxes we used to collect. 
But where it begins to go off the rails is where some of that infrastructure that they're now forcing the owners to deal with instead of dealing with it themselves with their engineering department and the expertise that the public entity has, they're giving that to the individual owners to maintain. And when we talk about things like you just mentioned, big lake features, uh, dams, uh, flood control projects, um, and all of that very sophisticated infrastructure, these individual owners are not uh, are not uh, capable uh, of, of maintaining that or even knowing that it needs maintenance because very few of these come with a with an owner's manual that tells you how to how to dredge a lake uh, they just and especially when they're 10 or 15 or 20 years old uh, whatever the developer did in the beginning to begin that project is usually forgotten by a succession of owners and board members so that down the road, well, why is this lake silting up? It used to be 15 feet deep. Now we can walk across it uh, because it's full of silt that's come down from the hills that uh, the city doesn't maintain because it's we're supposed to maintain it. We don't know how, and we don't have the funding to do it. So you have deterioration of these projects simply due to the lack of expertise. There are professional property managers who are very good. They understand what has to be done in the average project, but some of this infrastructure that they want them to take is way beyond even a good, competent property manager's expertise. Uh, and that's where this, the, the idea even goes further off the rails because the, uh, the, the, these communities that they've created just don't have the inherent expertise to maintain them. Well, I know when I was on the board, we relied a lot on the vendors. They are experts. They know what they're doing, but they also have a vested interest. So the, so the advice and the information they give us may not be necessarily be to our advantage. And it's really difficult to find people that you can to get information from more than one source. Um, and I, you're usually not funded to hire those people. When I say funded, I mean the, average, the, the assessments that are collected for operating expenses or for reserves are often not adequate to hire even uh, uh, some, some basic uh, professional consultations uh, because they're not anticipated in the budgets that, that are being prepared. They didn't know that 10 years from now we're going to have to dredge this lake and we're going to need uh, a, a lake expert to come in and tell us who to hire and how to do it, write specs uh, and drawings and plans on how to do this. And there's no funding to hire that person because nobody ever anticipated that you would need them. And then the owners that lived there then, who uh, maybe had just moved in a year or two ago, are expected to pay whatever their percentage interest is in, in, in that the project uh, to pay it, even though they didn't live there during the 15 years that that lake began to accumulate yeah. <laughs> all that silt. Yeah. The prior owners escaped basically uh, that cost because <laughs> it wasn't put before them because nobody knew it was necessary. And then who gets stuck with it is a poor, a poor person that happens to live there when the problem is discovered. Could be 15, 20, 25 years down the road. 
And that applies to a whole host of infrastructure issues. So, but I wanted to get back to what I said the other topic was, aging in place. Yeah. When we're talking about elderly people who want to stay in their community or their homeowners association, but are being priced out. Yeah. It's not just the pricing out. Uh, and I want to make a distinction. Uh, when we started this conversation, we talked about the professor's um, uh, research that I believe it was the subject matter was entirely single-family homes, because you, you but that uh, those kind of projects only encompass about half of the community associations in the nation. The other half are attached homes, like condominiums or townhomes where the homeowners association is responsible for a lot more, maintaining either the exteriors or maybe even the whole structure when, it, when various things happen to it. Uh, and with a condominium, with an attached, looks like an apartment building, but they're owned, each of the units is owned uh, by the individual owners, there is no way that you could have a project like that without a homeowners association. So those projects... Uh, have to have some form of management entity to uh, guide them and manage them and maintain them because you, no individual owner who shares a roof with 20 other owners can go up and fix his roof because his roof is their roof, and they all share the, the, the structure and the maintenance of it, and each individual owner. And so you have to rely on some kind of management entity to come in or to be there to to maintain the building. And sometimes those are very sophisticated buildings. We do a lot of work with high-rises, and uh, you could not possibly maintain that with a committee of individual owners. You have to have professional management and, and an organization to be able to manage it. So when we talk about comparing values, you can only compare the value of a single-family home in a traditional neighborhood to one in a community association. Uh, condominiums always have been built with, uh, with governance bodies like a homeowners association or a board of directors or some other kind of management group. But anyway, that's a different, that's a different issue. Condominiums, uh, which have been around now going on just about 50 years, in California, there were no condominiums prior to 1963. That's when they passed the Condominium Act. And all the condominiums in California, and I think most in other states as well, have been built in the last 40 or 50 years. And uh, they, they have uh, uh, delegated all the maintenance responsibilities to a board of directors in most cases, who then hires professional management to tell them, what has to be done and help them set budgets uh, in order to have the ad funding adequate to do the maintenance necessary. The problem with it is that there's a lot of deterioration uh, of these buildings that is not known, not seen, mm -hmm. unless it's investigated very thoroughly, which isn't usually the case, the reasons that I can explain in a minute. Uh, we have hidden damage that begins to build up from almost day one and not discovered for maybe a decade or two later. And when it's found, it's a horrendous cost. Uh, balconies that are rotted so badly they have to be replaced. 
sheathing underneath siding, uh, structural sheathing that is rotted so badly that you have to take all the stucco off the building and replace it. Uh, same with the roofs. These are things that typical homeowners association board of directors does not know or appreciate, nor do a lot of property managers. We're trying very hard to educate them to look beyond what normal surface inspections uh, uh, encompass, um, including those that are done in order to help them set their reserve budgets. Uh, they typically do not look beyond the surfaces of the building, whereas a bulk of the damage, probably half of it, occurs in places that you cannot see. And that requires going beyond the surface inspection and doing intrusive inspections periodically to know how your building's aging. If you don't do that, what happens is that the entire burden of deferred maintenance for, say, 20 or 30 years falls on the then owners who happen to be unlucky enough to live there when, the, when they, all of this 30 years of deferred maintenance is discovered and was never contributed to by the prior owners. And that's a major problem that's beginning to show up in older attached projects like condominiums. Um, you said condominiums have only been built in the last approximately 50 years, but the actual physical structure of Units, one on t in a in a single building, uh, which we call condominiums now, they've existed for a while overseas in Europe. Uh, look at France. Look at uh, New Orleans. They've got some older buildings. I don't know if there's a condominium involved there, but there's some really iconic, beautiful old buildings that are multi multifamily. And yeah, I don't know. There are. I don't know if they all have condominiums or, or what the deal is, but there's got. So we've talked about a lot of the problems, and we've seen these problems manifest themselves over the years. And I haven't done this anywhere near as long as you have, and I don't have the knowledge, the intimate knowledge of this. But it seems to me we've known these problems, and we keep talking about them. But what do we do about? preventing them? How do we stop it? Well, there are multifamily buildings that have been around for decades, hundreds of years in some yes. cases, older ones. Mostly those have the legal form of a co-op or something that in California is called uh, a tenancy in common where the owners sort of just get together on a Saturday morning, try to decide what to do. Yes. Um, but a lot of those older buildings are masonry buildings uh, that except for the utilities like plumbing and electrical, they, the structure itself tends to last a long time ah. without a lot of, without a lot of uh, deterioration. It's made out of concrete or brick. It's not, now, it's not cardboard and scotch tape, huh? What's that? It's not cardboard and scotch tape. No, it's not. <laughs> if you watch HGTV like my wife does, and I see from time to time, I watch them renovate some of these older buildings that are made out of masonry. Yeah. 
Yeah. And there, and the bones of the building are solid. Yes. It's just some of the yes. utilities and things that have to be upgraded from yes. time to time. But the modern condominiums, those have been built in the last 50 years, aren't built out of bricks and concrete no. unless they're a high-rise. These low-rise garden-type apartment-looking condominiums are made out of wood primarily <laughs> and wood rocks. And if you don't catch it in time to stop the source of moisture that's rotting the framework of that building, by the time it's discovered 20 or 30 years later, there is an enormous cost to the then existing owner, right. which that usually takes the form of a special assessment way beyond their wildest imagination of what they could have ever been exposed to. But they are. And the problem is, lack of sufficient inspections of those ah. buildings from the time they're new looking in areas that uh, surface inspection doesn't get to looking behind the side looking in the under the intrusive in where the structural components uh, are to see if moisture is getting to them and causing mold and rot you can't see it walking around looking at it from the ground you have to make little holes in this in the surface and go in there with, with some kind of an instrument to look inside to see if moisture is developing in there that's rotting away the framework of the building. And it's happening. Um, I was part of a survey, a national survey that CAI did of, of, of about 50 homeowners association buildings like I'm talking about and discovered that 75% of them had encountered unexpected maintenance costs way beyond what their budget prepared them for. Right. So it's happening all over the country because the inspections of these buildings aren't adequate to catch this early enough. But we're using substandard materials. Um, I grew up in a, you know, in, in a solid building and everything else around me was a solid building and, you know, we've those buildings are still standing and functioning after well over 100 years of being around. And we just never have those problems. You know, it's, it's just never been that much of an issue. But the other thing that really ticks me off, Tyler, is you cannot scratch, at least in Fairfax County, without getting permission from the county to build something, to do something, whatever. And you have to pay a fee to get permission to do so. Yet that fee does not ensure that there's a, an inspector who comes along to make sure that the building is being built or the renovation is being done properly. We're allowing cheaper and cheaper and cheaper ma building materials to be used. I can't imagine living in a house that's wrapped in plastic which is what these sh these shingles are. Oh, these wonderful, they're so pretty. The thing is, they just melt in the sun. You know, they catch fire and the whole building is gone. The whole house is gone. Why are we allowing this stuff? Because it's cheaper? No, it's not. In the long run, well, it's ridiculous. The codes that are published that are to be uh, adhered to by builders are adequate to build a building that 
is will stand the test of time. The problem is that the builders cut corners and they they do what we call in our trade value engineering to come up with a cheaper way of accomplishing the same result. And often that results in uh, a failure of the material to 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 uh, sustain itself over time. But another problem exists as well. When you're doing production housing, which is a condominium building or a whole project of single-family homes, you rely heavily on workmanship to do it properly. We have gotten away from training uh, using our unions for effect with their apprentice programs to train carpenters and plumbers and electricians how to do it properly. And we're building them so fast that there's not enough inspectors to keep an eye on all the workmen to make sure that all the details are done the way the architect drew them. And that's, in my business, that's where we find the greatest number of problems is simply bad workmanship. The materials might have been okay, if they'd have been assembled properly, but they often are not. And it results in damage sometimes very early in the project's life. Uh, I, I, I don't know if we mentioned it on this show once before, but in about four years ago, a, a balcony fell off of an yeah. apartment building with 13 students on it and killed six of them yeah. because the uh, waterproofing hadn't been assembled properly. It would have worked if built as the architect envisioned it, but it wasn't built that way, and they brought it, and when the students got on it, it fell off. And that happens without quite those disastrous results, but that happens all the time, where water invades uh, the skin of a building and begins to rot it, and nobody under, uh, discovers that for years and years. And one of the things that I think we have to keep in mind, a lot of this has nothing to do with the fact that it's a homeowners association that manages it. Right. What it has, it has to do with the nature of the whole housing industry and how it's evolved and what the cities and counties are, are requiring builders to do. And yet, as you said, failing to adequately ensure that they're built to code. Uh, most cities and counties are immune from negligence and inspections. That's true in California, and I'm sure it's true in most other states. So even if they do a bad job, they're not going to be liable for it. It's going to fall on the owners to uh, to deal with the result. Uh, so we have a housing industry that is kind of set up to fail uh, in, right. in many respects. And the poor owners who live there are the ones that are stuck with the bill. Right. Uh, and... It, so there's there's a there's a lot of fixing that needs to be done to our housing industry to make these things right. Unfortunately, builders and developers in cities and counties have a lot of clout in state legislatures, and they can they can make it comfortable for them at the expense of the eventual owner if they want to. Uh, we've had some luck in California in negotiating uh, with builders to get better inspections done using better materials uh, and uh, make it possible for owners uh, 
to get um, recompense when these mistakes are found. But the the uh, the power is not in the hands of the, of the buyer of these homes. It's not even in the hands of the homeowners association itself, which is just a little corporation set up to manage this particular project. It really falls to the builders and to the cities and counties to fix it. So how do we go about doing that? I mean, we've, we've identified a number of, of issues and we've identified a number of problems and we can watch them. You watch them now. I mean, I, for years I've been saying that housing is made out of cardboard and scotch tape and a lot of my listeners will call <coughs> me or write to me and say, yeah, the cardboard and scotch tape thing has collapsed over here. You know, that's a disgrace. I'm sorry. It's really, it really is a disgrace. But how can, I mean, we know what's causing it. How can we make sure that it stops? How can we make sure that counties start being decent people or cities well, and city governments and and the builders and developers do a better job? California last year passed uh, Senate Bill 326, <clears throat> which requires that periodically at least those elements, those components that hang off the sides of buildings like balconies, walkways, um, staircases, things that are exposed to the weather are, are inspected more properly. And that means going into the interior of those components to see what the actual structural members are doing and whether they're, they're being exposed to moisture over time that's going to rot them. And the homeowners associations or the condominium associations are now required to have an architect or an engineer go out and inspect them periodically to make sure that there's not a safety uh, problem with any of those. And in the process, that's going to tell the homeowners association and the owners the condition of their building and whether they need to ramp up their reserves to be able to um, uh, repair them properly or to, and it's also going to give them some advance notice if this is happening so they can repair it at a time before it becomes catastrophic. A lot of these moisture problems can be fixed very easily and cheaply if you know about them. Uh, but if you wait 20 years and let that moisture stay in there, uh, it is a catastrophic problem at the end, and, and it's going to cost everybody lots of money. So the legislature in California took the step of requiring what I'll call intrusive inspections, more thorough inspections of the structural components of these kinds of buildings, which will give owners and the board members a lot of notice of what's going on before it gets really expensive. So that's one way that we can head off some of this. In terms of the building materials and what's being used, um, there are codes, if they're followed, that can make sure that uh, a building is put together properly. But the code doesn't inspect the building, and the inspectors don't always inspect the building. And unfortunately, that leaves it to people that we shouldn't be left with, and that's lawyers. 
and <laughs> that we end up being the quality control that should have been there in the beginning and come in later with forensic experts who find all these problems. And then the developer and his insurance company end up paying for them if the owners find this, get somebody involved early enough. Uh, but that's an imperfect system. Um, what I think need, what I think really needs to happen is we need to put more emphasis on the building trades in uh, high school right. and junior college and teach these young people a trade that makes craftsmen out of them. And they can, they'll always have a job. There's plenty of, of jobs looking for uh, properly trained technicians to do them. And we need to devote a lot of our education system to training tradespeople in these kinds of jobs, maybe less emphasis on four-year college education for everyone. I think that seems to be the consensus now. Everybody's going, oh, you don't need a four-year degree. You need to get a you need to get a trade here. But I'm also concerned. Right. I'm I'm also concerned about the materials. I mean, I see. I again, as you said, I, you know, some places. I I grew up with um, reinforced concrete, with stone, with solid things that have lasted centuries. In essence, I mean, sure. my grandparents built a hotel well over 100 years ago it's still standing you know their house and and a lot of the houses there and some of some of these things are multi-unit things that you don't have an HOA to deal with the people deal with it on their own because I did I was got interested and I went home and started talking to people and found out so there are simpler ways of doing things but when I drive around here and all of a sudden a shopping center is gone, <laughs> and in it you get this little village growing up, and you know where you used to park your car. There's no parking, but they do have um, they do have these these little villages coming up, and they're giving them fancy titles and names. I'm living. I'm not living in one. I'm working in one right now, um, but Tyler, they go up in a matter of days. And you've got sticks that look like toothpicks. And then you've got paper that's supposed to protect them from water intrusion. And then they put vinyl siding around it because it's so pretty. And the, the plastic, the vinyl siding, just melts in the sun. Or you have a barbecue out there, and the heat from the barbecue has melted them. Some of them have caught fire in no time. The whole yes. building's gone up in flames. I mean, when I talk about building materials, can't we do better than live in plastic? San Francisco, the city of San Francisco uh, banned vinyl siding a long time ago. Oh, really? Um, I'm happy. Oh, yeah. I'm happy. I'm really happy to hear that. I'm really yeah, happy. For the reasons you mentioned, it's, it's not safe. Um, there's a whole lot of other reasons why it just isn't a good substitute for uh, a masonry siding or a real wood or other kinds of materials that can be used to uh, protect the framing of a building from weather. <clears throat> but it, none of it is any good if it's not assembled properly. And that's a bigger part of the problem. The materials that are being used now in modern condominiums, modern single-family homes, 
at least in around my area of, of the country, uh, are not bad if they're put together correctly. Um, and that's and often that's where the problem exists. Now that isn't to say that developers don't cut corners when they can. <laughs> and often that's at the expense of longevity of the building. Uh, but again, that leaves it to lawyers to sort that out. And it's not the way it should be, but unfortunately that's the way it is. Um, you can build a house today with modern materials and build it really well. Um, and you can build a house today out of modern materials at a reasonable cost. But you have to have people that know what they're doing when they're putting those houses together. If you just are getting your your uh, workmen uh, from in front of the Home Depot in a pickup truck uh, <laughs> and bringing them out and making them carpenters for the day, mm-hmm. you're not going to get the quality construction that avoids the kind of problems we've been talking about. No, I, I, I totally agree with you. And I think that, again, for what what we're paying and for the taxes and for local municipal governments and you know they're not only it's not only the taxes you pay them but the permits um, it's it's just a never-ending stream of gimme 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 and there's very little that's given back I mean I would expect them to have at least some really good inspectors maybe if those are caught at the beginning you wouldn't have to go back and start digging and trying to figure out what happened with this building. If if it was caught right at the very beginning while it was being built, don't you think that would make a difference? Yeah, that requires inspection, either by the public entity or by the builder's own forces or the architect. But there aren't enough, there isn't enough of the budget spent on inspection either by the city or by the developer, to catch the kind of workmanship problems that I'm talking about. Even and at the beginning when you're putting the whole thing together, making sure that it is put together? Especially at the beginning. Uh, the, the, the building that where the balcony fell off and killed those six students uh, was inspected three times before it was allowed to occupy. And nobody ever caught this problem. And here's why. It's a minuscule-sized problem. If you don't have the caulking just right at the juncture of the balcony and the building, moisture will seep in. Over time, not right away, but over time, moisture and water vapor gets in those enclosed areas and begins the rotting process. It's not visible to the naked eye walking around looking at it. Unless the inspector was hovering over the workman who's putting that together and watching his every move during the entire time he's doing it, you wouldn't catch that. And there's no way that inspectors can, you can get enough inspectors out there to do that kind of uh, uh, specialized inspection or with that intensity. What you need are workmen that know what they're doing are trained to put buildings together properly. And that's where we're lacking, especially in periods of housing booms, when you can yeah. sell anything that yeah. you can build. Yeah. Workmen are scarce. And so you take whatever you can get if you're a builder. And often those people don't know how to put a building together. Um, 
Wow. There, there are just so many issues and so many problems, but I wish we could come up with something. Tyler, you know, we've only got a couple of minutes left. I can never believe how fast time goes by when you and I talk, because I, <laughs> I learned so much from you. I really do. Um, but I think we're going to... one thing. Yeah, go on. I just want to say one thing. Yes. Don't blame the Homeowners Association. I'm not. It's, it, it inherited the issues that we're talking about through no fault of its own. The owners and the board members are really struggling to keep up with what they were given by builders and cities. And while there are some, let's call them rogue boards that do stupid things, no question. They're stupid they've people. Been given, they've been given a, a task that is beyond the average person's ability to keep up. And that's where the problem is, is how they were created and and what they were required to do from the beginning is more than the average person can deal with. I totally agree with you. I've been a board member. I've had to make these decisions. And I had a hard time finding people who could advise me. Right. It's not that I'm stupid. It's just that that's not what I was trained in doing. I mean, I was a scrub nurse. I was there assisting with operations. Not not dredging lakes, you know. Right. There's a whole difference. And so that's where I think the whole concept is flawed. You well, know, the, the housing whole, industry I, is going to need to really take a long look at itself. Uh the CAI, I, I know that there have been issues with some of the positions they take, but in terms of the housing industry and maintaining it uh, over a long period of time, they've been very proactive in trying to understand the kind of problems you and I have been talking about. And they've done some surveys. I'd be happy to send you a copy of one of them because I think you'd find it very interesting um, what the, the national survey that was just done in order to try to understand how to make, uh, how to fix some of these problems and equip these boards of directors to deal with them. I'd love to have a copy of that. And Tyler, when I get it, I want you to come back and talk about it because I, I find this fascinating. Yeah, I actually have one in my hand. I'd like to send hard copy when we're off the air would you email me your mailing address? I will. I want to send you a hard copy of this because it's very interesting. I'd love to have it. And thank you so very much, Tyler, for joining us. And uh, hope you'll be back really soon. we got more sure. to talk about. <laughs> My pleasure. And thanks to all of you for joining us. Please check out our website at onthecommons.us. On the Commons is produced by OTC Multimedia Productions. Finally bought my dream home to enjoy retirement life. I've made new friends and buddies, lots of parties for my wife. It seemed that life was perfect, all my neighbors felt the same. Then along came death by CCRs, life's over, I'm fair game. No 
those petty rules and regulations It's enough to make you cry They're full of woes, no pink flamingos Someone tell us why Slick managers and lawyers Slither close, but they won't tell Why our dream home should remind us We bought a one-way ticket to hell Now there's lots of open meetings Close to Justice 4HO Those arrogant board members Say what they want you to know The CAI and ULI Will help you lose it all But I wouldn't sell that dream home Yet the writing's on the wall Those petty rules and regulations It's enough to make you cry they're full of woes, no pink flamingos, someone tell us why. Slick managers and lawyers slither close, but they won't tell. Why our dream home should remind us, we bought a one-way ticket to hell. Well, we're not afraid or stupid, all your threats mean nothing here. Time marches on, soon you'll be gone, united we'll be there. So put your rules and CCRs up where the sun don't shine. And enjoy those precious golden years, stop messing around with mine. Those petty rules and regulations, it's enough to make you cry. They're full of woes, no pink flamingos, someone tell us why. Slick managers and lawyers slither close, but they won't tell why our dream home should remind us we bought a one-way ticket to hell. Why our dream home should remind us we bought a one-way ticket to hell.